You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds, which is a crowd of funding nerds, which is uh, a crowd of funding nerds. <laughs> it's a crowd of funding nerds. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joined, as always, by Rick and Sexy Irish Sean, and, and it's a me, Mario. Pizza tonight. What's up, nerds? <laughs> What's up? That's right. <laughs> I love those two plumbers. They've always oh. been great to me. Well, Stellaris Infinite Legacy, which is they're they're pushing now a 4X board game based on the PC game, and they say it's got about two hours of story and exploration sheesh now it's at a uh, 2.3 million dollars yeah they've inf- i don't know if that's the u.s money inflated or the uh the euros going up um <laughs> but yeah two point about two yeah, over thirteen thousand backers very Still impressive got 10 days to go Solaris started off as a video game and somebody took the video game concept and the legacy concept and really did something cool. They call it an infinite legacy because evidently you create a faction at the beginning of your first game and you explore and you, you know, kind of grow your faction. And then at any point you can actually put your faction away, retire it, or maybe you're, you know, I, I don't know if your faction can die or, or what, but you can start a new faction at any time and, then it actually encounter your old faction. So it's like a customization thing that is like an ever changing, ever, you know, evolving game. It's got a higher base pledge than most games, board games on Kickstarter. Uh, their base starts at $110, where, you know, most, most board games are like in the $60 range. Also, they promise to ship anywhere in the world. That could be a whole I don't know. That could be a big discussion right there. I, I don't know if logistically that's possible and still make money. You know, when you ship, there there are absolutely going to be places that you lose money. If you plan to ship to Brazil or if you plan to ship to, you know, Russia or some other very kind of far out of normal shipping lanes country, it's going to be very expensive. And where you kind of have to make up that money is, um, it, I mean, it's... Let's say you you shipped like 20 copies to Australia. Uh, You know, you sold 20 copies into Australia, for example. It would make natural sense if you wanted to sell games in Australia for a long time that you would ship a pallet into a warehouse. Uh, But that might be, you know, in, in the end, several thousand dollars, let's say, to ship a pallet of 100 games or, you know, something like that. Let's just say like $1,500. But if you were to air flight 20 copies in it might be $500 for 20 copies only instead of 100 to get them into Australia but you serve each of your backers and you saved a thousand dollars so it's uh kind of a you know I, I have these conversations every once in a while with uh clients where they're like what should I do should I you know save money and you know basically save overall in the short term but kind of lose out on you know, long-term success. No one's going to get their board game right now because of that big old uh, container ship that's stuck. In fact, they're saying it's going to take at least a couple weeks to move it now. It's just, it's blocked and it's blocked in such a way it blocks the whole canal. Like it's just sideways. And this thing is humongous. This ship is just ridiculously big. And uh, yeah, it got stuck. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So that that like holds trade all over the world. Like I'm literally, that's just like, not only board games, but it's like relief for, you know, food 
around the world for people that are starving and that, fancy, that's, and fancy rich cars and you know yeah that's the, right, the ikea that. furniture that's we nice. need in our in our stores <laughs> that's wild yeah i'm not sure i guess we'll we'll see what kind of effect that has on future shipping but i i think with the whole covid situation causing a significant delay in shipments everybody's trying to get their product shipped from china or from india or wherever and i guess there's a there's a traffic jam so i, I you know delaying for a couple of weeks i bet ships are going to actually reroute through different locations and you're going to you're going to find a delay that way i wonder what long term effect this will have on shipping if 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 any and actually you know this whole shipping thing it's it's a um it's a big deal to customers it, you know the the experience that they have buying from you is kind of a big deal if you have a poor, you know, if you have a great buying experience, you have a great price, a great offer, they like it, you know, your commercials are funny, whatever they want to try it. If they buy it and then it takes two weeks to get it, um, it can leave a little sour taste in their mouth and you'll get less orders or maybe you'll lose out on a, a customer that could have been a true fan otherwise. How do companies circumnavigate import fees into different countries it's through the distributor right so you pay a distributor and they handle the import fees and then they, like your pallets being shipped to a warehouse which is the distributor's warehouse and then they ship it out to people is that the idea the basic idea is that if i bought something directly from the uk it would cost a lot to ship because the United States has it imposes extra taxes on anything that comes in from the UK. <laughs> Ironic, taxes. isn't it? I know, I know, <laughs> especially tea, you know. But um, yeah, so you have this um, import tax and it is based upon the value of the item. So if I buy something for $50, it's based on that $50 valuation, the tax that I'm going to pay. When you are shipping it kind of you you get your stuff from your manufacturer and you ship to fulfillment centers you want to ship to a fulfillment center in the region that you plan to fulfill because uh let's say if i as somebody in the us i make a product and have it manufactured in china and then it gets shipped across the world i'm going to pay import taxes for let's say i bring it into the uk but i am going to pay it based on the manufacturer uh, the mag the manufacturing mm -hmm. amount. So if um, my game costs fifty bucks, maybe maybe it only cost me five or or, or ten dollars to make it, and so I'm going to pay taxes based on that amount. And if I pay taxes on that much lower amount, in return, my or rather as a result, my buyers from within that region will just get to pay what I call or what's called last mile shipping, the last you know few miles to get it from the fulfillment center, which is local in their country, to their doorstep. And there are no taxes associated with that other than, you know, whatever their carriers are charging. Now, there um, is a major issue that some people may or may not experience, depending on how lucky or unlucky you are. Um, I used to work for this uh, world famous zoo. I'm not going to mention the name because there's so many world. Oh, wait. <laughs> it's the <laughs> most world famous. It's the most world famous zoo in the world. Anyway, a lot of the merchandise would come from outside the United States and would be imported in on a sea container through shipping. And the worst thing that happens, and it's just you can't do anything about it, your package may be randomly picked by customs for inspection or your seed container. And so if, you're, if your order is on there, it can be delayed for up to six to nine months, Ooh. depending on how they're, they're handling it and what's going on. Like literally, it's just like you just and you can't do anything about it. You can't go down and get it. You can't do anything. 
It is considered like its own little world and you cannot touch it. Wow. That is uh, something I hope never happens to me. We had a, a, a shipment that got stuck for nine months and like we literally just ran out of the item that we were selling and we're like, we're really sorry. It's sort of stuck at the moment. Let's get into our, our topic of discussion. That was a, kind of a fun chat about shipping and, and all of these other campaigns. I So I was asked by a fan of crowdfunding nerds. He just was uh, somebody that's starting a board game company and he wanted uh, some feedback on various things. Ben Levy, if you're listening to this, uh, we're talking about you. He had a lot of a lot of great questions. We we started talking about deliverance and uh, you know my, the game I'm developing, and and he said that he found a lot of value listening to the episode where we discussed you know kind of where deliverance came from and what you know a lot of the marketing premises behind deliverance, and um, he said you know that. He feels like the hook of the show is that because we have so much current involvement with Kickstarter and crowdfunding, you know, he loves how we share just all about our experiences, the highlights of the journey, the problems and, you know, the good, the bad and the ugly of, of, of the journey. And so he encouraged me to talk more about deliverance and it would certainly be um, self-serving if I did, but I thought, you know, there's such an opportunity for lessons uh, that, you know, that I am personally experiencing for the first time and that I should share them. You know, I mean, we've we've certainly helped market a lot of other people and, and help people be quite successful on in, in crowdfunding. And, but as I'm going through it myself for the first time, there are a lot of things that I challenges that I'm experiencing, even with all of the uh, the knowledge that I've gained over the years working in this industry, uh, there's there's a lot, you know, there are areas that we're ahead, areas that we're behind. And so I thought we would talk about that and, you know, where we are at today as a company marketing a product that is going to Kickstarter should hopefully be a, an enlightening discussion. It's definitely not necessarily meant uh, for you to just go back the Kickstarter, but it's meant for you to, um, you know, just hear a, a firsthand case study while we're right in the middle of it. Well, uh, the deliverance campaign is interesting. So it's uh, uh, the game itself is has two primary modes of play. One is the skirmish, which everybody has been playing and loving and whatnot. But that feels a little bit more like a tactical combat game and less of a dungeon crawl, even though there are dungeon crawl elements. Um, the challenge I'm finding kind of from a marketing perspective is that the campaign, the more that I'm able to show of it, the more complete it's able to be, the, the better it's going to look when the, when the game actually goes live. Talking about the challenge, I feel like we're really behind in the campaign because my graphic artists are working really hard on other things that need to be finished. You know, like our rule book, for example, the guy who would do the campaign book is finishing the polish on the rule book. And uh, so that's kind of a, a major element of um, concern for me, honestly, is that the campaign just feels like the uh, the actual game, I mean, the mechanics and everything like that feel really good. We reached a few breakthroughs. You know, one of the things about a game with a campaign is that you're going to, the first thing people do is they're going to probably bust out the campaign. And the thing about Deliverance is that the skirmish mode is the real like the meat of why you would keep this on your shelf for a long time. So the challenge with the campaign, so basically people who play the skirmish absolutely 
dig the game and they want to play it a bunch and you know play it again and again now um the campaign if it doesn't live up to the hype of the skirmish then people are just never may honestly never experience the skirmish mode so from a marketing perspective my goal with the campaign was to number one teach people the game quickly and you know so that they're not going to have to read a 32 page rule book before they you know start bumbling through the first game but that the you know first mission of the campaign almost serves like a tutorial that more advanced players may even want to skip uh, mission two is kind of like the the first you know full battle with all of the mechanic or the mechanisms working and uh that kind of thing and then mission number three is i think the um really needs to be a skirmish battle you know that that's going to get people into what this game really can be in the first uh you know few missions and i think that you know people will give the first mission a go and they'll figure out the rules because it's pretty easy and then the second mission they'll put it all together and they won't have to spend like four hours trying to figure out you know how to make it through the first you know battle of a skirmish or i don't know whatever you know some people learn fast others learn slow and so i wanted to kind of use the campaign as a tool to spoon feed people and from a marketing perspective you basically you just want people to play your game as much as as many times as possible the more times people play your game the more they're going to want to talk about it the more they're going to be fans of it and, and that kind of thing right and so the, the campaign is just um i feel like we're a little bit behind just in the ability to show the campaign off you know and how do you treat failed campaigns like in at gameplay wise i feel this is where a lot of games drop the ball is they focus they almost have like one narrative and i find that a campaign should continue with success or failure like a lot of campaigns like you cannot go to the next mission unless you've you know successfully completed it i prefer campaigns that continue the story mm -hmm. even if you fail the campaign is that something that you've done with deliverance yeah actually i've thought about that i i agree as well you know some of some games that have done this well you have uh, pandemic legacy you uh if you lose a game then you have to replay the same mission but if you lose again then you move on to the next mission and in that game you actually get a, a benefit kind of like a little bit of a um a bonus so that the next time you try the game it's a little bit easier and um they keep you moving through the story one thing i agree with you is that nobody wants to you know if they if for whatever reason something has their number they just get stuck and annoyed and they don't want to lose again and again in the same exact scenario so what i want to do with deliverance is i will uh, force people to play missions one two and three and then starting at mission number four really you can play you can you can go to mission four which would be let's say town hall you can go um you know and that would be like a small little burst of like mission four and five you know like a two mission series and then you can go to i don't know like the the um now you've got the the mountain cave which has um an event that happens and that's like mission you know seven and eight or, or eight and nine and uh so for the the deliverance campaign you can kind of complete it piecemeal so you have to complete every one of the missions before you get to complete like the final series of missions like it's it's a uh, spread into chapters so you have chapters one through seven and you have to complete the first six chapters before you can play through chapter seven but 
after you complete chapter one, you get to play the chapters in any order. So if you're having a particularly difficult time, then you can um, change the way that you that you play. Okay, so, and you might be stronger by the time you go back to that mission you failed and be able to fulfill it. Is that the idea? Right, or or just maybe you have more understanding. You you know you know uh, in uh, Lord of the Rings: Journeys in Middle Earth as another example of a game that forces you to play through the campaign. Um, you have to play through a mission before you can complete the next mission. It can be really frustrating when you lose. In so you can either if if a character dies, you lose at the end of the the round, and then if what is called the threat meter goes to maximum, you lose as well. And uh, threat often beats a lot of people in that game where the formula for threat is is quite easy to understand let's say you have a hundred threat per mission and or for a particular mission and then in a given round your threat increases one time at the very end of the round and it's just a simple equation it's one threat per unexplored tile in the game and then one threat per um there's a, a threat token that can appear on tiles and if you know it's like all right i have it looks like i'm going to get nine threat this round you can really start to control it and it becomes quite easy to say okay that means we have another five rounds left before the the game is over so we have to try to win in five rounds or we could lower our threat by a little bit and then we get six rounds or whatever and you just all of a sudden it's like this major breakthrough that you have and all of a sudden certain missions that were just destroying you because you didn't understand how that mechanic worked are now quite easy. So I, I definitely think that um, just giving people a little more time to play through the game and understand how it works, I think that's um, you know uh, very important in a campaign. So when it, whenever anyone goes to Kickstarter, there's certain hygiene factors. These are things that people must have. They're like sort of like a, a minimum requirement of entry. And the way we explain this is that it's like going on a date. There's certain things you have to do. They won't necessarily mean you'll get a second date, but they certainly will harm your chances or the effect of you getting that second date. So it's the same if with you Kickstarter. you fail to do those things, right? Yeah, if you fail to do those things. So the brush your teeth, comb your hair, brush your teeth, comb your hair, open the door, depending on your level of chivalry required or, yeah. or whatever, pay for the meal. I don't know. Yeah, washing your clothes. I don't know, something like that. Not talking about board games all the time. Uh, yes. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so there's certain things that you need for Kickstarter. And some of these are review videos, playthrough videos, GIFs of your game, high-quality art, you know, your Kickstarter trailer, and then a solid pricing or a solid offer. So, Andrew, whereabouts are you on all of these pressure points for Kickstarter? How's the review video coming along? Yeah, so reviews are quite interesting for deliverance. I always preach that you need to have reviews for your game. It's one of the most important hygiene factors that, you know, you is it really serves as proof that someone else has vetted this game that is trustworthy and approves of it. A lot of people are on the fence that, you know, look at a game and say, you know, this looks good. I'm willing to investigate further. I just need to get some questions answered. And one of the biggest questions is, Am I going to like this game? You know, um, you want to see gameplay and, you know, other people talking about it so that you can get opinions and really kind of answer the question for yourself because you can't actually physically play it. You know, maybe I, maybe you can on Tabletop Simulator, but, you know, despite that, reviews are still very important. Um, so what a lot of people do is they'll look at reviewers that they trust 
and they will say, okay, well, if uh, Tom Vassal of the Dice Tower likes it, maybe I will. Or if Rado or if Colin from um, One Stop Co-op Shop likes it or Jesse from Quackalope or whatever. Um, these will really help people make decisions. And so where I'm at from for this, I there was a wrinkle that I didn't expect. So I always, I, I believe that reviewers need to like your game before they receive it and uh, they actually will vet games based off of um, their taste before before they actually give it a review people that you know i i mentioned colin from one stop co-op shop guy loves co-op games guy loves big dungeon crawlers and and other things like that and so i know that that would be an excellent person to review my game and uh you look at uh let's say someone else like i don't know um, this might not be 100% accurate, but let's say like Dan King from Game Boy Geek, he does a lot of lighter games. And I know that, you know, just from knowing him and meeting him at conventions and whatnot, um, we're always playing lighter games when we're together. So I know maybe like a, a very heavy dungeon crawl might not be down his alley, you know, a, as much as, as an example. So I know that's not a perfect example because uh, Dan may love dungeon crawls and I just don't know it. So I have a lot of people that were willing to review it. I have some people that were beating my door down, ask like begging to review it. And I would say, you know, people who say, oh yeah, yeah, pay me money and I will review it versus someone that's like, can I please review this? I would love this game. I want to introduce it to my friends. I want to show it to my people. I, I would rather have the latter, you know, passionate people. And so that's and folks, one thing. You know, one place to find those types of people is in your Facebook group or on your online community that you have grown through your pre pre Kickstarter marketing and through this virtuous cycle that we often talk about. So that's a great place to ask people who should review our game, you know, in the comments below, let us know. And you know, some, you might have some super hardcore fans saying, I'd love to do it. And you know, if you could work something out, that's great. Well, they might suggest people that, Hey, I think this would be a really good fit. And so that's a, that's a really good place to find a, a really good starting point to get the ball rolling with regards to finding reviewers for your board game. Definitely. And in fact, I had, you know, major distributors in my, uh, in my group. I had uh, reviewers in my group when I asked about, you know, Hey, is there anyone that you know of that, that should, that you think should review deliverance? Um, people volunteered their information and, and I, I was quite pleased with that. So um, in, in some ways I'm ahead of the curve because people know about the game. So I guess all the talking that we've done in communities over the years, I guess, um, has really kind of gone before us and let people know that this is a thing that exists. So when a reviewer hears about it, reviewers are quite selective sometimes. I mean, there are so many games that come out and there's only so much time in the day. If you're willing to pay them, that's one thing. But you also need to um, have a product that is really appealing because if they review this, they're basically saying no to being able to review um, another product, right? And uh, mm -hmm. so there's there's no shortage of games to review right now, especially for the popular channels. So um, that's kind of, it's been an, a really interesting journey there. Um, so I feel like I'm a little bit behind in a lot of ways. I always tell people, you know, at, at three months, like your, your three-month timer, um, when you're allowed to count down for um, your Kickstarter, it's, it's always a 90-day timer in, in my view. And that 90-day timer starts when you're ready to start soliciting reviewers to review your game. 
they take about if you want to have every reviewer then you know or i'm sorry any reviewer that you want you need to give them about three months notice Uh, some of them are going to say no i'm just too busy and others will you know if you give them enough time they would have been too busy but yeah sure three months I, i i can do that so and you don't need to have your game necessarily like prototype in hand ready to send 90 days out although it wouldn't hurt I find myself at the moment right about 60 days out. Maybe it's like 70 or 75 right now. And I don't have my prototypes in hand yet. And that makes me a little nervous. I've reached out to reviewers. I have a solid list of reviewers. And my my intent is to have a prototype within, you know, I would say right around the like the 15th of April. I want to be sending prototypes out, which uh, at the moment of this recording gives me right around like two and a half weeks to do that. So that's kind of where I feel like I'm just really tight on time and I wish I had more time. And uh, the reason that I can't have more time is because I have a a deliverance of another sort that is coming over the summer, which is a baby. My wife is pregnant with our sixth child and she is due on August 9th. So if I delay too much, I could have a deliverance during the deliverance campaign and be in the (laughs) hospital during, I wouldn't want to be in the hospital during the first 48 hours or final 48 hours of that campaign. And another thing is you also have a business. You run a digital marketing agency and and often clients have come to us and say, oh, we know Andrew's got a game coming out. Is that going to interfere with, you know, my, my game? And the reality is, is no, because deliverance often gets pushed to the bottom of the to-do list because we have our clients as our priority to you know fulfill our obligations to the contracts that they've signed with us so that's another (laughs) element of what's delaying things yeah it's it is something that um i won't say it delays necessarily like the launch date of deliverance has to be you know within like june 1st through the 15th i'm targeting june 8th but um it is something that compacts things and really impacts my life. Um, you know, we had Chip Cole on uh, a couple weeks ago and he, it was really insightful because he has so many children. I have um, just, uh, well, he has nine and I have five, you know, soon to be six. And the, um, just trying to give time to the family while at the same time giving what the project needs to be successful is uh, very difficult. You know, you you have a lot of opportunity to, I mean, I, you know, that basically the solution to getting impacted is work more hours. You know, like I can work um, 12, 18 hours in a day and I, I'm going to need to do that. I've done it before and I'm going to need to do it again. But um, the, if I, if I prep my family for it, they're, you know, willing to support and they're super fans of me. So They'll, they'll do whatever they need to do in order to support me, but it still takes a lot of time away from them. And, and it, if, if I'm not careful, I can really throw the balance of life off. You know, I, I, I just, uh, as much as I possibly can want to try to keep all things in balance, but you're right. I mean, it's, we can't, we, we're taking money to deliver a quality service to our clients. So if, you know, at the end of the day, the thing that has to suffer, the clients can't be the thing that suffers, Mm -hmm. I guess is the main point now. And actually to that point, we're actually hiring somebody. We're bringing someone on because we're just growing a lot. Um, So I think those one week is like every day we're getting new people who are interested and you know, the things that we do. And that was a wild week. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
Yep. And uh, Sean, just you told me like, yeah, you know, we're just getting so many people inquiring and this and that. And um, I just keep telling them yes, because I figure you'll just hire more people. It's like, okay, I better hire someone. (laughs) So. But, um, but yeah, you know, I, I, I thought about it, you know, it was the situation of would be, let's say if we got to where, you know, at the end of May and deliverance was going to launch within like two weeks or something on Kickstarter. And then I finally pulled the trigger on hiring someone. It's the, um, the training required. Uh, I mean that, that by itself requires a lot of time to train someone to get them up to speed so that they can actually work on a, you know, ads or whatever it is and do a good job. I mean, that doesn't just, you know, unless you've got a unicorn that you just hired, you're going to have a, a while of training before they're actually useful to you. That's something that we've really thought about. And so, uh, as of the end of this month, you know, well, the end of March, we're going to, we're going to have another, staffer on the books and you know the plan is to start them part-time and then move pretty quickly into full-time as uh as we're as, as we, we grow keep growing so playthrough videos probably very similar to review videos would it make sense that if you're sending a copy to a reviewer to also ask them to do a playthrough video i personally find the playthrough videos really important um, might be like a two-hour video where it's like the entire play and I think that that's a very important element to have on your Kickstarter page because when people are really interested, they, they want to see, are my turns meaningful? Like, does it, are there, are there meaningful decisions? If I made the right decision, will I feel smart? Are there multiple viable builds or options to, um, to, to kind of achieve victory? That's really, in my opinion, the thing that the playthrough answers. Number one is that like, will it be fun? But number two, the, you know, the actual mechanics of the game they want to see them in action, you know, is the the decision points of the game. And um, so for this, I absolutely think that you could have a reviewer do that. A lot of the time reviewers have our personalities themselves and they have friends and whatnot that that have, you know, fun, bubbly personalities that are entertaining to watch on on camera. Yeah. T- uh, tabletop is an example, right? Turning right. that. The, the playthrough into a TV show using, you know, celebrities or interesting characters. Yeah, so an- another thing a playthrough does is actually teaches players how to play the game. So it's good if people are really interested in the product and they're saying, oh, well, actually, I want to learn how to play this. The rule book isn't out yet or completed yet, or I don't have the time or the, the motivation right now to read a 30-page rule book, but I, I watch a couple of minutes of, you know, like a turn or two of this playthrough to get mm-hmm. a, a gist of how the game plays. And so that's very valuable to consumers the how to play video the playthrough video and the uh let's say like a quick overview of the game are kind of three separate videos that that i'm thinking about for deliverance the quick overview is just a little bit of it's just so that people understand what the theme is what you're doing why you should care and a little bit of like the turn order and uh um to teach you how like what the feel is, what the mood is of the game and, and that kind of thing. That's like a five minute video, maybe five minutes or less. And then you've got the how to play video, which actually teaches you, you know, you've got um, Rodney Smith's uh, Watch It Played and other, other, you know, the Rules Girl and other things like that, that are companies that where it's their job to show you how a game is played. And this would be a replacement for the rule book. I think that this is very important. I plan actually in the Deliverance Rulebook to have um, QR codes and links to give people that will help them 
navigate to one of those videos that they can uh, then use to teach them the game instead of actually having to read the rules. So the rules can just be like the reference guide instead of, you know, you have to learn from the rules. That is one of the barriers to playing games is, is the rule book. I have to read it and it's not that fun. And then I have to, you know, bumble through the start of a game as well. It'd be nice if you could just watch something for 20 minutes and then immediately bumble instead of, you know, bumble through the, the, mm -hmm. the, the game itself. And That's um, a good idea. we have plans for like the, how to play. I, a lot of these reviewers that, you know, like Rodney Smith with watch it played, he doesn't do watch it played for Kickstarter projects. He does it for products that are coming to market. So basically after the Kickstarter campaign's over and when the product has a release date, he'll do a watch it played. And I think that that's uh, kind of an important distinction. So I have a plan and I have a safety for this. So the plan is to have a reviewer do it or a professional company do it. But if they aren't able to, or they're, they're not, you know, maybe it's not going to happen in time. I'd really like it to be, I'd really like to have number one, a full playthrough video. And uh, secondly, how to play video. So I have a local videographer that loves board games. He had Gloomhaven out on his table when we had our first conversation. It was like, all right, you know, this is my safety. And you know, I've worked with them a couple of times on different projects and even on our Deliverance teaser trailer, the, the first one we did back in March of last year. And um, we, uh, you know, he did, he did a great job. And uh, so my safety is actually to do a full playthrough myself with some of my friends, family, you know, local playtesters. I've got, um, you know, people that I'm actually modeled the art of characters after that live in my local area. You know, my friends is like, all right, this is Brighton. Well, you should totally Uria. do that. I don't think that should be a fallback. I think that should be the, like the main thrust, you know, you can yeah. make it, if you even, if you even did like a, you know, tabletop kind of thing with it, it made it like a little entertaining episode. Like you interview yeah. your friends and you, you made it funny, put some jingles. I think that'd be really entertaining. That's, I awesome. think that's you a great idea. Cosplay and everything. <laughs> I think you definitely do something like that. I don't think that because that's so personable as well to you as like the designer. And, yep. you know, people, people are so familiar with you on the Facebook group. I think that would be that that's the way to go. I think if you that's have the time, awesome. you know, that's the only limitation there. Yeah, it's true. It is true. But yeah, I, I love the idea. And as close as we can get to, I guess, to, to that is, you know, where we want to be. So how's the art coming along? You, you know, one of the hygiene factors is high quality art. And I, I really think that this is so important. I actually think you could probably get a game funded on Kickstarter just with art. Yes, <laughs> Because, you, you know, people could just say, that game looks great. I want that on my shelf. And they'll, they'll buy it and not look into it. Uh, but then, yep. you know, once they unbox it, it might be a different story. Yeah. But, so how, how's the high, how's the art, art coming along? Is, is, it, is it all complete? Or you still got some things to, to flesh out? Yeah, that's actually one area we are far ahead. Art for Deliverance is actually about 95% done, maybe higher. You have the risks and challenges section in the bottom of your Kickstarter page that does need information. And the more that you can show people, I've done my work, I've, you know, I, you have a, an extremely high probability of receiving this game because the art is all finished, number one. And uh, there are like, you know, I mean, hundreds of pieces of art in this game and um, to have, you know, it's it, it's one of the top areas that that kills projects is the, you know, the art and the minis and that kind of thing. If if you're not I mean, if you're 40 percent done or 60 percent done, I mean, there's 
you say you're 60% done, but you may realize you've got another, you know, 95% to go after you fund on your Kickstarter. And that can be a huge deterrent to backers. So it used to be that art would really just sell a game on its own. And I find that, you know, just knowing how far along the art is, is uh, quite important. And so we, we really are ahead there. And we have so many awesome pieces of art that we can use. The our challenge is kind of paring down and select, you know, being selective over the pieces of art that we use. Versus... Yeah, that's the challenge of the landing page design. It's because there's just so much art, so much to use. It's like, okay, well, what what should we focus on? What's going to really, you know, move the needle? That that was one of the biggest challenges of designing the landing page. So since we're on landing page, how's that coming along? Yeah, yeah. Actually, you know, you you put together kind of a landing page mock-up, and um, we have. Uh, we had Alex kind of put it together, looked really good, you know, on the, uh, you know, the mock-up that you did. And then we, get, you know, kind of turned it into a functional landing page. And I kind of, in, we encountered some issues with the mobile experience versus the desktop experience. That's kind of the the biggest, I think, challenge with mm. landing page design is that mobile is vertical and, you know, it's like a, uh, it's a rectangle that is, stands tall. And then desktop is a horizontal rectangle, so a rectangle that stands wide. And so you have to really design kind of a separate experience for both. Square mm. images don't work very well for desktop. Um, you know, if they're if they're kind of going to be your, let's say, like your feature image that is at the top of the the, the screen, it's something that um, it just you know, it doesn't work very well because that's a rectangle, right? And so modern design, you need to go, like your website needs to stretch from edge to edge and uh, fill up the entire screen. And so I, I think, you know, some of our challenges, we're working through them and everything and the landing page is probably live by the time this podcast goes. Um, but to, to be impactful in a short time is uh, what I find where 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 I find you know having all of the art completed and all of the assets completed is um is is awesome because we have no I mean I could make that landing page scroll and scroll and scroll mm -hmm. and you can have new things to see you know constantly but we need to just give people an understanding of what it is if they why they should care of course how it the game is kind of generally flows or how it plays and do you think you use GIF? files to demonstrate some of that so yeah so gifts are really important right we have um a company called mesa game lab that's on that we're that we're working with to uh, create gifts and to create images or i'm sorry uh the the kickstarter video they are definitely something that i think is very important i'm not sure if they will function well on the landing page or not just depending on the size and everything i think that they will do a better job teaching someone how to play than you know, just static images and text accompanying them. But uh, my, my concern is on the landing page, th that thing has to load and GIFs are heavy and quite large. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they, they could really cause us a dramatic slowdown of a website when they all try to load at the same time with, you know, large art and a, a fairly long page. So hosting, which is something that board game designers should probably never worry about you know you should never place yourself in a position to worry about your hosting we just happen to have that expertise so we we might i'm definitely down to give it a try solid pricing and your offer how is that coming along so 
Yeah. So this is really kind of dives into manufacturing. So I have, I got quotes from like nine different manufacturers from, uh, there's Panda, um, manufacturing, uh, long pack game land, Maja, I mean, Bangui, a lot of other, uh, manufacturers, hero time manufacturing and, a couple of them rose to the top as the the ones that I wanted to work with. So I kind of settled down to three manufacturers that are providing uh, quotes on my on my pricing, and this is where our offer is going to come from. So the first thing is our offer. I decided before the manufacturing was done, just based on what the market would bear. So hmm. this is really important because the price of your game. I'm sorry, the manufacturing price of your game and the value or the the number that you sell it for doesn't necessarily need to be like five times, you know, your manufacturing cost or whatever. Like there's no formula that you should always apply. You know, I mean, Catan probably makes 10 times its manufacturing cost or more. It's a very inexpensive game to manufacture. The, The components are very cheap, very thin, very flimsy. The game works, you know, and uh, they print it in such large quantities that the, the economies of scale probably make it extremely inexpensive to, to print. Yeah. I guess my, my mindset is I look at the market and I say, what price can the market bear? What price should the market, would the market pay for this? And I think that, so I have two versions. One's a retail version. One is kind of a, a deluxe edition. And then we'll probably also do an expansion that has all of the, you know, if somebody buys... Um, if somebody buys a game at retail and then they want the extra content that comes in the deluxe version, like the actual gameplay content, other angels and that kind of thing, then they can buy the expansion. So $59 for the retail edition, let's say like $40 for the the expansion, or you could, you know, which is $99, right? Or you could pay $99 for the deluxe edition, and you're going to get metal coins, the metal first initiative or first player token. You're going to get um, additional health dials and that sort of thing. If somebody wanted two sets of minis, at least I would be able to say, yeah, I have this expansion item that has the miniature sculpts in it. Or maybe someone says, I don't care about the game at all. I just want the minis. Well, they can back for a dollar. And then in the pledge manager, they can buy only the expansion. So since you're talking about the pledge manager, you're going with GameFound, I assume. And if so, have you set that up yet? The most important thing from, you know, as far as a pledge manager goes, is that I can gather data from the pledge manager on Facebook ads. That mm. has become such an important thing. And depending on the pledge manager you're using, they have BackerKit and GameFound. I personally consider the top tier pledge managers. They allow you to in- integrate um, the Facebook pixel with BackerKit and GameFound. And uh, they actually allow you to gather data. When I say data, I mean purchases. So for example, Cryptid Cafe, which we have been uh, uh, working with in the post-campaign pledge manager, they've sold over 700 sets of these little um, uh, like maple add-ons through Facebook ads. And we're getting just an incredible amount of um, return on those things from Facebook ads. And it's caused them, they're uh, normally, you know, they're they a little bit conservative with the way that they spend their marketing funds. It's caused them to see like, well, this isn't a risk at all. If I pay more money to Facebook ads, I'm going to make more sales. And so they just keep bumping up the number that they're paying to Facebook ads. And they've actually sold almost as many in what it's been like, like two, three weeks, maybe 
a little longer since their campaign ended. They've had as almost as many additional backers as they did during their entire Kickstarter campaign in the last wow. like two, three weeks. So I, that's, as a marketer, that's why it's, that's why it's really important to have a, a realistic fund goal because yeah. as long as you're funded, you can then move to your pledge manager where you could get more backers. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the typical um, ad- advice that you hear from somebody that, you know, is experienced in this, in this industry is that you'll get 15 to 30% additional revenue from whatever you raised on your Kickstarter in the pledge manager. And that's usually from your people upgrading their, um, their sets of, uh, you know, whatever it is, maybe they bought extra dice, maybe they bought, you know, an extra copy of the game, or maybe they went from a dollar to the full, you know, deluxe edition of the game or something like that. Yeah. I mean, you know, with something like, you know, chips game, cryptid cafe, you've got, things that people really want that just so happen to be, you know, the market loves the game and you've got a lot more reach with a pledge manager as well, because you don't need Kickstarter as an interest. You Mm -hmm. expand your market that you can, you know, your Facebook ad um, audience, like multiplies times five or, or 10, you know, as far as the amount of uh, people eligible to receive those ads. Potentially reach. But yeah, so as far as pledge managers, I would consider both Backerkit and GameFound. I haven't decided one way or another. I, I think that Backerkit, the, the thing is, if you come to Backerkit before your Kickstarter ends and you make a deal with them and say, you're my company, you actually do get a better deal than if you go to them and partner afterward. And what's the cast with GameFound? I thought GameFound was free. Yeah, so the difference with GameFound is it's really... So from what I was told about others that have used the the back end of GameFound is that it's free. I guess the you get what you pay for. Whereas Backerkit, for example, you have a team that can help you, someone you can call, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. GameFound, you're going to do everything on your own. You have to navigate the issues by yourself and the, I guess the, uh, I forget what it's called, like the developer tools or, or developer resources are quite sparse and not very helpful. So if you want free, there does there is a little bit of a price in you know your time to get it right, and so for Backerkit, it, there's a lot there are a lot of other tools that will I, that I think are you know quite competitive, but one of them is their customer service, and I really do think that that matters. So I'm I'm not decided yet on the pledge manager. I just know that you know I'm absolutely going to be using one. So finally, Andrew. What are some of the risks and challenges to running a Kickstarter campaign that you have encountered or you think you will encounter moving forward? This really actually needs to be explained in the in your Kickstarter, in the bottom of your Kickstarter page. It's like a required section. You have to have risks and challenges figured out, right? And for me, I think it is a little more obvious. The It, it would be my first time fulfilling a Kickstarter project. So um, I, you know, I think that it's, it's so important to have a reliable manufacturer. It's really important that you have a strong uh, fulfillment partner and, and that kind of thing to minimize your risks. Uh, it's also very important that you have a, a plan if things go sour. So um, usually what I, what I see, you know, what I foresee is, you know, if elements change like uh, shipping rates or, you know, maybe manufacturing costs of materials go up uh, that type of thing, really needs to be accounted for ahead of time. So I think that the risks and challenges that I, that I, you know, of really, it kind of boils down to unknown expenses that, uh, that you're going to run into. And I, I think that we're prepared for, 
you know, for that, you know, for every contingency, you know, I try to be prepared with our budgets and that kind of thing. I mean, I, I know that if I had another project that was successfully fulfilled, that this project would make more money, you know, mm-hmm. even despite, even if it has viral success and just explodes and everybody shares about it. And, and I, I know that it would still make more money if I had a successful project fulfilled already. And uh, so that's just one of those things that I have to deal with. It's actually one of the reasons I was so intent on speaking with publishers because, you know, a publisher, not only do they have some experience fulfilling projects, but they've, they've got proof that they've done Mm -hmm. it successfully. So they're a better, a bigger, um, better chance of success. Maybe this is where you need to leverage your expertise in marketing and that you have helped many other board game developers Mm -hmm independent board game developers fund yeah. successfully on kickstarter so that might be a good like stat to have at the bottom of the page and yeah. you know, a little, maybe like a little blurb andrew lowen has you know successfully helped x amount of projects fund on kickstarter yeah wow. has been an advisor on you know so many projects and you know maybe yeah. you'd have a bit of t- some testimonies there would be like little quotes would be probably very very helpful with, with thrashing that objection. All right, fellow nerds, it looks like it's time to go. Thanks for listening with us. For more information about this podcast, please visit crowdfundingnerds.com. Thanks a lot and see you guys on the next episode. Adios, amigos. TTFN. Ta-ta for now. <laughs> <laughs>